You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids talks with Senya Hinduja, Director of Brand Marketing at Eatable Incorporated. So I think when we look at product marketing versus digital marketing, one of the key kind of insights I have is we lean heavily on data and insights before we're either launching a product or even before you're launching a campaign. This could be a social media campaign, a digital campaign. It could be the brand voice. And the reason we lean on data and insights is because that gives you the opportunity to reach out to a wider audience utilizing third-party research cloud software such as Suzy, or if you're a larger company and you have that database of your clients already or your consumers, you can reach out to them internally, segment them by audience, and ask them a variety of questions, right? So your questions can range from whether you're a startup that's looking to identify whether you have the right product to launch, asking them whether there's a need for the product, what would you name the product, whether they would be enticed to buy this product based on the price point. Just so I understand, the key insight, if I had to sum it up in one or two words, is it about collecting insights in a different way than marketers do it today? Is that, is that what you're going for? So yeah, I think collecting the data and insights for every single aspect before you take it to market is something that we do in the CPG world. So whether you're launching a brand new product or you're tweaking a product, it's getting that validation from the consumer so that when you are actually going out to put, whether it's your ad or your product on a consumer-facing platform, you already have the validity from an audience. And this audience could either be a pre-segmented audience, a random audience that you've created using the third-party software, or it could be your own audience because you're an established brand and these are already repeat customers or if you have access to you know a retailer's portal. So it's really validating that and we've used this when it comes to content creation. So you have two different ads, you show them two different ads, you're not telling the consumer or the audience what the different ads are. They choose which ad resonates better for them. And I think when it comes to marketing and making sure that your funds are being funneled accurately, especially for startups these days, that's a really important point. So doing a little bit of back testing to make sure the audience resonates with it, making sure that you're launching, whether it's a product or an ad that doesn't require too much education to the consumer is something that can be pre-validated. So I think doing that preliminary research that gives you the data, gives you the insights from a core set of audience that could be repeat purchasers or are already repeat purchasers really helps you fine tune. So I think for, again, for the product side, we always take that step back, do that due diligence. And then whenever we're promoting something on Instagram, TikTok, it's already been validated by an audience. So can you give an example of how you would... You sort of did in the end there because you mentioned TikTok, Instagram. But like, if I'm a a brand manager, I'm launching a product, what's kind of the first step you would take with this methodology you're describing to make sure that it resonates with the audience? Yeah, definitely. So say, for example, you're launching a new body wash, right? And it's a new fragrance and you want to get your... You want new consumers, but you also want to get your existing consumers super hyped about 
this new fragrance. You're giving the consumer newness, giving them something exciting. So you'll take at this point, you can actually ask your existing consumer base these questions because they're familiar with your product. And you can offer two different, either a same image or two different types of image that images. That's one way to run it. They can align on which ones they resonate with more, or you can take it a step further. You submit your two different caption options. You submit two different fragrance names, even before you launch. And you almost crowdsource feedback from your consumers prior to taking that on the public domain, whether it's Instagram. So now you have your current consumers validating. They like this fragrance name. They like the fragrance description. They like the way it lathers their body, the way it smells after they get out of the shower. And that's now the verbiage you're using on the consumer-facing platform. Have you had an experience where you conducted an experiment ahead of time and you actually found that the results were totally different from what you had anticipated? Yes. So most recently, you know, I think one of the tough things is if you're trying to develop, and this is mostly specifically to personal care and how I guess our research didn't really pan out was we wanted to conduct research that was demographically inclusive. So everyone that was answering the question, it would have to be like a 2020-2020 breakdown to make sure that we got an even answer. And I think sometimes when you're looking for something like that, whether you're looking for, if you're doing a snack, someone that likes savory snacks versus sweets, someone that has more of a health kick versus someone that doesn't really care about their health. If you're looking for an even split and the audience that you, you know, you can preset your parameters, but if that audience doesn't come together and it's not that much of an even split, you kind of have a little bit of a wonky response, at which point you either go back and you have to reset your parameters or you split it up and you kind of analyze it to the best of your abilities. But I think that's sometimes the trickiest. I think for us was, you know, when we had to split it by demographic, that just won't happen at times. Yeah. So how do you conduct a test like that? Because I'm just thinking like in my, you know, here, here's the, the dumb guy version of what you're saying. This is just yeah. what, what I think about. I think about, I want to test a piece of creative or I want to test five pieces of creative and I'll put it out on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube shorts. And I just look at what the response is from a engagement, likes, comments standpoint. And the one out of those 10 that actually gets the most responses, I say, okay, that's great. But I have no idea who responded, maybe the algorithm kicked up here, maybe somebody with a big following liked it here. So how do you implement any kind of controls when you're running a test like this on social media? So typically, what I'm running when I'm saying data and insights is we're running it pre-social media. So they're typically for newer launches. If it's an existing ad that you're doing, obviously, those A-B testing through your email marketing that's already gone out, that's still a very valid way to do it. If you're doing Instagram, I think... I don't know that there's a tool that's better than what's already out there. But I think if you're looking to dig deeper for a newer product or a newer launch, you can go a little bit outside and then use third-party cloud research platforms like Suzy is a good example, S-U-Z-Y. And that allows you to dig deeper into the North American consumer base, deeper by demographic, by age, and also where the consumers shop, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. 
First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. Are you finding... You mentioned Susie a couple of times here. Are there tools or are there ways that you do your job that you, that you conduct this kind of research that you think will change over the next year or two? You know, I think a lot of it is still very manual if you think about it, because you're still manually putting in these questions. I think going forward, I think softwares like this will kind of become a little bit smarter when it comes to auto generating the questions and anticipating what you want as a brand. We're not there yet. But I think that would be really helpful for brand marketers down the line, having almost like an AI system that anticipates what the brand needs next. Yeah, I think we're, we're very close with ChatGPT and Jasper. Jasper's another one I've been using a lot. I feel like it knows what you want or what you're thinking even before you do. So maybe there's a way to integrate those together. Agreed. Jasper's great. <laughs> Have you used Jasper? I have. I mean, it's so intuitive. It's crazy. It's actually scary because it does a lot of the labor for you. Yeah. Yeah. One interesting use case... I was actually just talking with a marketer about this yesterday. One interesting use case, just speaking about brand and and innovation, is the idea that you could teach a tool like Jasper, which for those listening is is an AI uh, writing tool. You could teach it what your brand voice is, what your brand message is, sort of educated on who you are as a brand. And then the work that you would need to do maybe would be, okay, we're writing a new slogan or we're writing copy for a new packaging uh, product that we're putting out there. And it would know how to write it or how to you know create something in your voice. In the same way, you could say, hey, write me a poem in the style of Charles Dickens. And it could do that today because it already knows what that sounds like. You could actually create something out of nothing using AI. And I could see that happening in the next year or two. A hundred percent. And I think... With tools like Jasper that are already giving us a leg up, if you wanted to take it a step forward and then conduct those data and insights or then A-B test your email marketing, you already have something that's kind of giving you that information. You get, you know, I think Jasper, you have the ability to choose between three to five versions, variations of copy, right? So Mm. it's already giving you a little bit of a leg up over there. And then just integrating it with other platforms, I think, is really helpful. Awesome. Okay, this was fantastic. Is there anything else, Sonia, that you wanted to share? We're going to do a little break here in the podcast. This was amazing information. Anything else that you want to cover? Thank you. You know what? I think the last bit of it is... And this is... Perhaps it is on the digital side of it. I think another thing that's really important for brands is you'll see a lot of brands these days placing emphasis on social responsibility. And it's become a huge marketing tactic. And I'm not sure how I feel about it in terms of brands using it to just champion a product, I think it's really important if you're using either a nonprofit or a broader cause to tie it to your brands. But I think if you are doing that as a brand, it's really important to be transparent. I think when we're marketing to a younger demographic right now, specifically, you know, again, part of that research that we've done before really shows that the younger demographic, they champion brands that have a social mission, that have a social responsibility, but then they're bringing the consumer on their journey, whether that's through taking them through purchasing the product all the way through the end on their website, or it's 
displaying it on social media. It's bringing the consumer on the journey with them to show them how they do it. And I think a lot of brands do lean on their social responsibility as part of their marketing strategy. But I think it's becoming... We're not in a situation anymore where just having recycled plastic is enough or using recycled boxes are enough. I think that consumers want to see a little bit more authenticity with brands. And I think that's something that I think would be an important, again, product marketing tactic if the brand does want to lean on social responsibility as a marketing tool for them. That's really interesting. I've heard the term used greenwashing, the idea that we're going to do something that is sort of like the baseline of what you can possibly do, like you recycle. Well, everyone recycles. So that, that in itself is not really taking a strong stand. Are there examples of a social responsibility integration that a brand can use where it's really more authentic and it's not just all for show? So I'm not sure in terms of you know if there's an, a tool that they can use, but I think that just brands being super authentic about how they're doing it. A brand that does it really well, I think, is Patagonia. They have a team that researches ways to reduce the impact on the environment. Now, not all companies have deep pockets, right? You could be a startup. But for example, I think partnering with an organization and emphasizing them, having that organization be a constant force across your social media platform, bring them in as part of your brand, that doesn't cost a lot of money. And I don't think having a social responsibility has to cost a lot of money. You don't have to donate 5% of your profits at the end of the year. But making sure that whatever your social responsibility is that you've chosen for your brand is at the forefront so that that nonprofit is getting coverage consistently, much like any influencer or ambassador that the brand would partner with. I think that's kind of how brands can look at it. And it builds trust, I think, you know, and it, it really is not that expensive to do if you don't have deep pockets. I think consumers at the end of the day are just looking for brands that are authentic. You know, you see brands that have ingredient transparency on their website, educating the consumer. It's the same thing. It's just really bringing the consumer along with the journey and making them a part of your brand. Patagonia is a great example. Another one I can think of is Aloe, the yoga brand. And this yes. is a brand that was created, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or so. But when you have a brand where the mission and the purpose of the founders is integrated into the DNA of the brand itself, it, what happens is as that brand grows, usually, especially if it's still founder-led, it can be retained. So this is all about fresh air, saving the oceans, that sort of thing. And the brand now, 15 years later, still makes that a big part of its movement. And people, customers really get that. Patagonia is another great example of it. If you have a founder-led company, it's much easier to integrate. It becomes tougher, of course, when you know businesses are led by private equity firms or they go public and they sort of lose that initial brand ethos. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I think just taking time as a brand truly choosing a social responsibility that aligns with you, it doesn't have to align with the rest of the world. It needs to align with you because that's ultimately what's going to make your partnership with that nonprofit or just your public acknowledgement of this social responsibility authentic and make it easier as a brand to build that relationship with your consumers. Well put. Sonia, thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at Influicity.com.